Well, good morning, good morning. Hope you all are having a wonderful, wonderful week or have had a wonderful week. And I hope you're looking for another exciting week with the Lord. It's It's been cold. I hope you've been warm. It's been kind of a challenge. So I've been staying in quite a bit and uh, because these old bones just don't take the cold weather like they used to. But it's 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 been a joy to just be out blowing snow and and allowing God to do what He's going to do, but then be thankful that He allows me to do what I need to do because He's the one who gives us the strength. It's amazing that we haven't seen this kind of snow for over thirty years, and uh, it's it's something. It brings back a lot of memories in childhood. Uh, I can remember uh, putting them big old rubber boots on and tracking through the snow. You you went to school. Uh, our superintendent back in those days was uh, Carl Otten. He didn't believe in closing schools. So uh, you got out there and you just made it the best way you could. But today... Um, I understand we, we can't send a lot of our kids out because of the danger and so forth. But it's just been a time of just remembering and reflecting, the sled riding, the snow fights, the building the little uh, forts we used to build about the snow and so forth. It's been a great time of just reflecting on uh, days gone by. And I just praise God. And he's still giving us what we have need of. That's the thing we always have to look at. Uh, God has given us the weather, the rain, the snow, whatever it is, for a purpose. And uh, it usually winds up helping us, even when sometimes it looks like it's a disaster. Only our God can bring good out of that which is bad or destructive. And he does work that out in some manner. But I pray that you've had a wonderful week. Well, we're still on this topic of our confidence in the Lord and in the Word of God. When we look into God's Word, are we confident that we are reading truth? Are we confident that God is giving us information that is similar in a way to our own life, and yet he's speaking truth into our hearts about real life and what he will do. And he's mirroring for us how he will also respond to us if we respond to him. And sometimes we miss that, that how God responds. And remember, he is a God that changes not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And how he responds, that's why he says uh, there is no favoritism with him. Um, there's not one group that he favors over another group. And sometimes people get in the argument about uh, the Jews being the chosen people. Well, they were chosen because, boy, of their size and their weakness, and he was going to show his power through them. And uh, the whole process is not that he loved them more than he loves some other group. Uh, he loves all his creation. 
and sometimes we miss that. But we want to look at, and what I want to challenge you with, is your own confidence. Are you growing in the Lord? Are you believing his word? Are you trusting him? Or do you allow people who may not agree with you or may see things differently to cause you to change your mind and not to be the strong Christian that God desires you to be, that somehow you lose sight of walking in this faith that God has given unto us. Uh, we want to look at that. And I want to challenge you to look at what God does in your life. Pick those things out. Be able to, as the songwriter says, count your blessings one by one. See what God's done for you. And do you really believe that that is God working in your life? Well, let's pray and we're going to get into John chapter 9 about our confidence Father, we want to thank you and praise you that you desire us to be a people who walk in a relationship with you and that we are confident that you are a living God who keeps your promises, who fulfills your word, and you are yet a living God today working in our lives. You're not a myth you're not just someone that we talk about because we've heard other people talk about you and it's just a thing that we do in religion, but that, Lord, you are a living person who desires to interact with each one of us every day. Help us, Lord, to see this through your word. And, Lord, we'll give you praise and we'll give you all the glory because of the great things you are doing. But build our confidence that we don't allow every wind of doctrine to throw us this way and that way, that we don't allow people with every new thing that comes up cause us to run over this way or that way. But help us, Lord, to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ and him alone, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, um, Sometimes we think we have confidence, and I think about the uh, Heaven's Gate group. Uh, I think about the Jim Jones group, the Harry Krishner type group, and we can see all these different groups that have kind of like marched down through in these recent years or decades, and we see people who followed after them and they were hungry for a relationship and believed that they were having a relationship with God but missed something. And what they missed was this word. And yet Jim Jones was one that was in the word and yet people missed it. And today we do have people who are like false prophets. And we need to understand that 
if we don't know this word, that we will follow error. And we need to get to a place that we are settled in this word. And we can hear things and we can say, nope, that's not right. Or we can hear things and we can truly say, amen. Oftentimes, <clears throat> I hear people say that Martin Luther King followed Gandhi. No, Martin Luther King said it himself correctly. He was inspired to do what he did by Jesus Christ, though he used the techniques and the methods of Gandhi. Now that should lead you to a desire to go and search out where did Gandhi get his methods from or what did he get to build upon. Many of us do, don't even know nonviolence philosophy basically started here in America and it caught me by surprise too by Henry David Thoreau a professor and another professor over in England picked it up and put it to economics and that's where Gandhi first experienced it through the power of economics and he saw two things in India that had to be corrected among the people in India. One was self-independence, uh, the ability to weave their own clothes and so forth, because Britain had written a law that they could not manufacture their own clothing. All the cotton that was grown in India had to be shipped to England and then brought back to India and plus the rest of the world. And then the other thing was a respect, a respect for each other and a real love for each other as Indian, whether you be Muslim or Hindu or something else or Buddhist, it didn't matter. His whole thing that there was this group of people called the untouchables. And I called a friend of mine who is from India. They live here in the United States and we have become quite close and I had a conversation with them about the untouchable. So I wanted to hear from someone from that country who knew a little more about it. And they explained it to me. But you say, well, how is this have anything to do with confidence? I'm also reading a book um, Howard Thurman with heart with head and heart and Howard Thurman uh, had Martin Luther King I think for a semester he went to school with Daddy King at um, oh boy now my mind went to freeze up on me down at Morehouse and uh, they went school together Papa King and Howard and uh, Howard is the one who 
met Gandhi and learned more about nonviolence and shared some of that with Dr. King. Dr. King went to India to study a little bit more of Gandhi's philosophy, but that was planted in his mind and heart by Dr. Howard. And <clears throat> I want you to hear, because I think it's going to fit well in our message, part of his conversation with Gandhi. Uh, Dr. Howard asked Gandhi this question. What do you think is the greatest handicap to Jesus Christ in India? He answered, Christianity as it is practiced. Christianity as it is practiced. As it has been identified with Western culture, with Western civilization and colonialism. This is the greatest enemy that Jesus Christ has in my country. Not Hinduism or Buddhism or any of the indigenous religions, but Christianity itself. What is he saying? You have to understand that here he is being oppressed by a British nation and the England church within a sense these religious and Christian people are killing his people and robbing the wealth of his country. But they are Christians. And I can understand Gandhi when he says that he loves our Jesus but does not care for our Christianity. And I know we put the two together. There is a word that often is used that I don't know if we understand where it comes from, and it's hypocrisy or a hypocrite. It comes from the Greek, and it was used in Greek theaters. And uh, you may have seen it on TV. The French used it, but it mainly came from the Greek theater, where one would hold a mask up in front of their face, and that mask would... It's what the audience would see, and they would be portraying that individual of that mask that they had up covering their real face. Sometimes as Christians, we're very hypocritical. We wear our Christianity like that mask, and many of us hide behind it rather than really allowing Christianity to work in our hearts and our minds, allowing people to really see the real thing. And I'm skeptical to say, but I think it would be right to say, what Gandhi saw was hypocritical Christians, and he didn't see the real thing. And some people he may have. I think in Dr. Howard, he saw the real thing. I think in a few others, he saw the real thing. 
But even while Gandhi was here in the United States for a short period, he tried to attend a certain church, a certain denominational church, and he was stopped at the door and was told he would enjoy service better if he would go and worship with his own kind. We have to be convinced and fully persuaded that God wants us to live as one people and that there's only one Christ who died for us all. And until we come to a place where we are convinced and we're not going to be swayed by whatever pressure comes upon us of who Jesus Christ is. And I think that's the main issue. Too many people are claiming Christ without knowing Christ. And that hurts us. And I'm not trying to say I'm better than anyone else. I'm not trying to say anything like that or that I have more faith than someone else. No. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. I'm, uh, I'm saying that all of us, including myself, need to take down any type of thing that hinders in our life of this Christianity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ really being seen in our life. And we live the Christian life. We live it. We just don't talk about it. We just don't go to church on Sunday. But all through the week, we're living our Christianity. There's times during the week I fall short. And I got to quickly say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. And sometimes it's over the same stupid stuff. And I got to say, Lord, forgive me. I'm slow of learning. But I'm learning. Don't happen as often. But I'm learning. But I got to be confident that I'm really serving the one and true living God. Now, in Romans chapter 14, and we've been at this verse before, but I want to go back to it again because I want you to see it also in action in John chapter 9. He says in that verse 5, <clears throat> One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, yes, if you go to the very first verse in this chapter 14 of Romans, it's talking about the weaker brother and the strong brother when it comes to the area of faith. We all may be at different levels. And there's going to be some of us who are weak in our faith and some who are strong in our faith. And I like to say it this way. Sometimes we're strong in one area, but we're weak in another. A weak person is strong in another area and strong in another area and weak in a, another area. And we kind of like see each other's weaknesses. What we got to learn how to do is 
help prop each other up, help encourage each other rather than knock each other down. But he wants us to have this confidence that will not be shaken when man tries to persuade us in a different way. And that's what I want us to really catch in chapter 9 with the blind man. Now, there are six individuals or six groupings that work in this story. It is Jesus, and we want to hear what Jesus is going to say. Then we want to hear what the disciples say. Then we want to hear what the blind man says and does. Then we want to hear what his neighbors say. And then we want to hear what the Pharisees say. And then we want to hear what his parents say. We want to hear this conversation that's going on with all these different groups or these different people. And I want to bring to light, <clears throat> the scripture says, no man liveth unto himself, no man dieth unto himself. For whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. People around you are watching your life. There are those who are praying for you that you may not even be aware that is praying for you. There are those that are looking at your life and they know your life. They're not running up to you every day saying, hey, you did great. Hey, oh man, you messed this up. They're not running up to you telling your, uh, singing your praises or telling you how bad you were. But they're watching. And at some point, they're going to contribute their thoughts about your life. They're going to share it with you or someone else. And I want you to be able that if you're a Christian to understand you're not perfect, but you are responsible to show forth the Lord Jesus Christ and to show forth that you are doing all within your power through the Holy Spirit to live out this word. Jesus says in that verse 1 in John chapter 9, he said, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Jesus sees this man. Now, there's things that happen in our life that is not because of sin. But it tells us where the mind of the disciples are. Because the disciples asked the question to Jesus, was it this man who sinned or was it his parents who sinned that caused him to be blind? So they're putting that the reason that he's in, the shape that he's in, is because of either his sin or his parents' sins. There are things that can happen to us, happen to us in life that is not because of my sin or the sins of my parents. There are those who have a short leg. And you may have seen people with that. And they've had to have 
a thicker sole on their shoe to be able to walk a little even. There are those sometimes that will have something wrong with one arm and the other arm is perfect. There are those that sometimes will see great through one eye, but the other eye can be weakened. There, there are those things that can take place. One of the things that worry me sometimes about the church is that we don't see enough handicapped people in the church. Not because the church has not been made accessible for them. It is that how sometimes we treat handicapped people or how we talk about handicapped people. And we got to be very careful how we choose our words when we are talking about somebody who may be a little different than we are. And I want to just drop this too. Church looks like Many times, a group of perfect people. But we are broken, hurting people coming to church to be fixed, if I can say it in that fashion, to be healed, to be made whole, to be accepted. We're coming to church. And yet the church is one of those areas that shines a lot of people. And a lot of people don't come because they have been hurt by church or church folks. And that's a correction that we have to make. And Jesus saw this blind man and, and very quickly the disciples may have acted or responded like a lot of church folks would respond. Well, who sinned? What caused this to happen? It's part of life. And oftentimes we do say we live in this fallen world. And because of this fallen world, we see a lot of things that we would not have seen if we were living in paradise or in the time of the millennial when Christ himself will reign. But Jesus pays attention to this man. And Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned in verse 3. And we need to catch that. Because when Jesus says that, he removes that stigma because he's blind that he may have sinned or his parents sinned. Well, Jesus removes that. Because the disciples needed to have that removed from their mind. Because somebody is different and their body is not what we may want to think of as being whole and perfect. That it is not because of their sin or their parents' sin. There's a young lady who works at the daycare for us. And I can remember when she hired in because I had a conversation with the one who was going to hire her if we should hire her. And mine was, yes. 
She's in a wheelchair. But the kids love her. She works harder than anybody else there at the daycare. And don't miss a day. Gets there early. Leave late. She's one of the best employees we have. But she's been in a wheelchair all her life. And she wanted to work. She wanted to do something. And I imagine she could stay home and live pretty good on her disability check. But she also just wanted to work. She wanted to do something more with her life. And she's dynamic. And Jesus said, neither the man sinned nor his parents in verse 3. But he says, this is for the work of God, that God can reveal himself. And the young lady and I, we have talks and I share the Alliance magazine with her when I can uh, uh, about different individuals in that magazine who also are handicapped or whatever and what they do and 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 it has inspired her some and we have some good conversations. I want to encourage her. I hope one day we'll see her roll through our church and come through the doors. But that's a work of God. And he's going to bring her. But I'm seeing, because it says here, but this happens so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now understand something. He's not saved. And yet God's going to work through his life. I will assume this young lady knows of the Lord. I don't, I don't know if she's really saved or not. We talked about it some but no commitment but God is working through her life God is working through her life and he's working through this blind man's life and and it's amazing of what's taking place and he says this is for the glory of God and that God somehow is going to work through her and, and through him and other people are going to see it and recognize it. Now, come on down with me <clears throat> into verse 6. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sin. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. The man went and washed and came home seeing. Now, the blind man here, I don't have it anywhere in this text that he said, Jesus, heal me, do this, do that. It, it really, the initiative is on Jesus' part. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And from that point in the conversation with his disciples, he begins to act in this man's life. 
and he made this mud out of spit, put it on his eyes, but he told the man exactly where to go and what to do. Now, it took the man's initiative to go exactly where Jesus told him to go, not somewhere else. Not asking for somebody for a cup of water to wash his eyes, but to go to this specific pool and wash. God will sometimes be very specific with us, and sometimes why we don't see the blessing, or see the healing, or see what we're asking for, because we don't follow the instructions. This man followed the instructions of Jesus and did exactly what Jesus commanded him to do. Now, it's amazing what else takes place here. He says, he went home seeing. He left home that morning, most likely not seeing, but comes back home and he's seeing. So in verse 8 we get there and there's the neighbors. They get involved with him. And the neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging, asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Boy, they're confused because nobody never heard about this happening before. And they're there and the neighbors. Now, here's your neighbors. They've been living with you for 20 years, 10 years. They know your situation. You know, we talk about privacy. There's not a lot of privacy anymore. People know you. When I was coming up as a child, we lived on Cotting Street. We knew the Italian people. We knew the black people. We knew the Irish people. And uh, we knew them. Now, I'm not just talking about just know them. by We knew them by face recognition, by walking and just talking on the street with them, waving at them as neighbors, sometimes them giving us some of their food. We're sharing something with them. We got to know them. And these neighbors know this man. They know this much about him. He was blind and he was a beggar. So the neighbors really ask, is this him? Now some people are asking the question, isn't this the man that used to beg? And I put some money in his can? And he's not really blind? He tricked me? He deceived me? No. He was really blind. Others said, no, he only looks like him. So there were those who were really confused because they never heard of a blind man being healed. And this man is healed. And he is seeing. And they're confused. Was he blind from birth? Or has he been deceiving people all these years? Because he's a grown man now. We've given him money that we've worked for. Was he really blind? Some are saying yes. Others are saying no. That's not the real man because they don't want to admit that they may have been tricked. Because the only thing that was healed on the man was his eyes. 
face didn't change. So they said, no, it, it only looks like him. It only looks like him, but he's going into the same house. It only looks like him, but he's back in the same neighborhood. Sometimes we don't want to admit that God has really done something. And they didn't know where to put this. So they're going to investigate. And they're looking for an answer from this man who they thought was blind. Now, follow me here. It really gets interesting here. The question comes in verse 10. <clears throat> he says, How then were your eyes open? They demanded. Because with all the confusion, when you look at verse 9, the man speaks up and he says, I am the man. He hears these folks talking about him, if he is or if he isn't, and he says, I am the man. And then in verse 10, they demand, how? How? Then were your eyes open, they demanded. Because, see, if you really see, as far as they're concerned, either you didn't tricked us, deceived us, stole our money. How did this happen? They want an answer. And they're serious about it. And when you give money to people and you help people, and it's not, and it don't seem like it was really what it was, or the reason that you gave. You want you you want some answers. You want to know, and they want to know. How were your eyes open? How were you healed? Because you've been blind all your life. What happened? He replied in verse eleven. The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eye. Now that's all he knew. <laughs> the man who they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes, and told me to go wash them. Now, how foolish does that sound? Be honest. That would be hard for us to believe or to accept. And yet the Holy Spirit puts it in here for us. Because what he is showing forth yet is what was said up in verse 3, so that the work of God might be displayed. And God is displaying his work in different people's lives in different ways. He's displaying his work in that young lady at the daycare in her wheelchair, the strength he gives her. To roll that wheelchair up our little ramp. How she gets and open these doors and potty the kids. And I mean, the things that she do. It's amazing. And yet, this is a work of God through her in some, some way, some manner. And that takes place in many people's lives. A lot of times we don't see it because they hide from us. And because they hide from us and they're not open, even as being a handicapped individual, we don't see the work of God. Now, even with church folks, we all want to come to church whole. 
I don't want to come to church being perfect. I don't want to come to church being the best of health. That's not true. We need to come because God has directed us to come and not to forsake the assembly of ourselves. And I understand there's going to maybe be an age of when you can no longer come because of sickness, and I mean severe sickness. I'm not talking about your little pains and aches and so forth. I'm talking about severe sickness. Because people will see your life and they will ask this question. How? How? And your answer will be, by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God. Yes, I hurt. Yes, I'm in pain. But only by the grace of God am I here. Because people will be amazed how God's working through your life at that time. It's amazing to see someone walk into church over a hundred years old. That's God working in their life. It's amazing. It's amazing to see somebody walk through church who had many failures in their life, but now has really committed themselves and they are believing God for the very best that God will give them and to see their life change and the new things that begin to take place in their life. Because we've all been created that he might show his work through us. And he goes on and he says, he replied, the man they called Jesus, some mud and put in my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went. That's so important. So I went. I didn't know this man. But this is what he did. He put mud on my eyes, told me to go to a certain place, wash my eyes, and I came home seeing. Can't explain all the other stuff. But it happened. Because of obedience and doing exactly what the Lord would have him to do. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know. Catch this. He didn't follow Jesus, he didn't go back looking for Jesus. He went home. Isn't that something? He went home. And when he got home, all the trouble starts for him. All the questioning starts. But I want you to really take note of this now. They bought, when you get into verse thing, verse 13, because he says, I don't know. He don't know where Jesus went. They take him to the religious leaders. And they're going to still be in doubt if they themselves were not deceived by him for all these years, in a sense. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was on the Sabbath. Now, when, as soon as you pick up that word Sabbath, Jesus cannot be a religious man. Jesus cannot be a holy man. Jesus cannot be from God and working and doing something, making mud on the Sabbath. 
So very quickly, the Pharisees conclude this man cannot be a holy man. This man can't be a Christian. This man can't be this or that because of what he does or what he did. Verse 15 says, Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the men replied. The man replied, and I washed, and now I see. That's all the man knows. But he's persuaded. He's convinced by it. This is what I did. This is what the man said. And all he is doing is repeating, one, what Jesus told him. Secondly, what Jesus has done in his life. And all we can do is repeat what the word of God tells us and what Jesus does in our life. That's our witness. That's our witness. That's our story of our relationship with this one that we walk with every day. How he directs us, how we obey, and then what he does becomes the witness to a dying world, to neighbors, to friends, to employees, to relatives of what God is doing in and through us. And that's all he knows. He's not trained in a theological persuasion or in any certain doctrines. He doesn't know much of the Old Testament. All he knows is that he was blind. This man named Jesus, who they called Jesus, who he had not yet seen, put some mud on his eyes, sent him to a pool to wash his eyes, and he went home seeing. That's all the man really knows. And that's all he can share. But as people try to persuade him differently, he doesn't change his story. Young ladies, let me share something with you. You saying you're a Christian, and some young man is trying to persuade you that you're not. What do I mean by that? Some young man is trying to talk you into sex, but you're a Christian, and you know the word tells you this is wrong outside of marriage. You need to tell him what the Word of God says, if you know the Word of God. And this young man, some woman might be trying to encourage him to have sex with her. And he needs to be able to be strong enough to tell her, this is what the Word of God says. And then stand on it, be convinced by it. And also understand this. Whenever people try to take from you what God has given to you, you need to get away from them. You need to get away from them. Because they only mean you harm, not good. And he says in verse 15, Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes. The man replied, and washed, and now I see. In verse 16, sorry, 14. <clears throat> Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. Some of them said, 
This man can't be of God. This cannot be a holy man. This cannot be a prophet of God. This cannot be a man sent from God. This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Look at the value here for a moment. The man gaining his sight was not important. What was important was that Jesus would keep the Sabbath and not heal the man. God places us more important than some rule or regulation. Now that doesn't give us a freedom to break it. But for him to meet our needs, he'll do whatever is necessary on whatever day, whatever rule he have to break, he'll do it to meet our need. And he does that with this man. And it says, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. Here comes the argument now. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miracle, miraculous signs? So they were divided. This man divided the Pharisees. <laughs> this man divided the religious group, in a sense. This man is making some of them really have to think. Has God sent the Christ, the Messiah? Because we know God doesn't use a sinner to do these things. Now, there's a difference between a sinner doing something and something happening unto a sinner. A sinner... God may use to speak truth to us. And we can't limit how God's going to work in these things. But in most cases, God doesn't use the devil to work his miracle. He doesn't. Now, he can use someone who is tempted by demons and devils to speak his truth for a moment even though they may not live the truth. But God wants those who are going to hear, to hear the truth. And these individuals says, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So this group is now confused. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? Now they're asking him, What's your opinion about this man? Well, in reality, he don't know the man. He only knows his name is Jesus. He's never really seen the man. He only knows his name is Jesus. He healed him through his obedience. And he don't know anything else. But what do you say about this man? Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. Now you ask me, I'm giving you my opinion. I believe only a prophet can do this. 
Only a man of God can do this. He didn't say he was the son of God. He didn't call him Lord. He didn't say he was the king of kings. He called him a prophet. And a prophet was someone sent by God to speak or do something for the people. And the man calls him a prophet. Then in 18, the Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Now, now catch that first part. They didn't believe him. They would not believe in his report. But the man wouldn't change. He didn't say, I don't know. It may have been. It may not have been. He kept to the truth of his knowledge of this man called Jesus. That Jesus healed him. Sent him to a pool. That he might receive his sight. He didn't change that. He made the mud. Put it on my eyes. I obeyed him. Went and washed in this pool. And I went home seeing. He didn't change his story. Even though he's being pressured in a sense. To do so. But he's convinced. That Jesus. Killed him. That's all he knows. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. In this, is this your son? In verse 19, now they've sent for the parents. The parents are going to be somewhat intimidated. Now the parents can't lie about him, one, being his son. Two, they didn't lie about him being blind from birth. But then they wavered, and I imagine when he got home that night, he shared with them what took place. And they somewhat at this point throw him under the bus because of the fear that they had that they would be put out of the synagogue. And sometimes we allow people to put pressure on us that we will not speak even what we know. And I cannot imagine that he went home seeing and he did not tell his parents what had happened. And he says, Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? Now listen to the parents. We know he is our son. Yeah, all the neighbors know. This is our son. The community know. He's in our family. This is our son. And the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. We know this from childhood. That he was blind. But how he came to know. But but now he can see now. Or who opened his eyes. But how. He came to see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Only thing they could do is repeat what he had told them. 
and they don't really do that, but they come and they say, and maybe he didn't tell them. But I just can't get it past my mind that, boy, this happened to me, and I went home, and my mom and dad is there. I'm going to share this news with them. Uh, they're going to recognize that I see, and I'm quite sure they're going to ask, how did this happen? And the story is told. But they have a reason maybe for not answering correctly. But now he can see now. Or who opened his eyes? We don't know. Ask him. He is of age. As one of my friends would say, he was thrown under the bus. He got an answer for himself. He will speak for himself. And sometimes that's all that one can do is go back to the real source and let the source explain what took place. And this man can tell his story better than anyone else. You're the one who can tell your story, your relationship with Jesus Christ better than anyone else. Even though others may have witnessed it, no one can tell the story better than you. And they say he's of age. Let him speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. So they had some apprehension here. They were a little fearful. They didn't want to be dismissed or thrown out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said he is of age, asked him. The second time they summoned the man who had been blind, give glory to God. Now that's their advice that they're giving. Give glory to God. Give glory to God that you see. Well, it was Jesus Christ who healed me. It was Jesus who put the mud on my eye, who who made the mud on my behalf and put it on my eyes. He's the one who gave me the direction of what to do that I might see. And I did it in obedience and I was able to see. It sounds very religious in what they're saying. Give glory to God. But denying the work of what Jesus has done robbed God of his glory. Understand that. Jesus is here to glorify God his Father. And whatever he does in my life or your life, God is glorified. To deny that is to deny the glory of God. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. Now, they come across with a full confidence that, oh, we know this man is a sinner. But you don't really know what happened to you. You're not really convinced. You're confused in this area, aren't you? You need to change your story. And the man wouldn't do it. And that's where you got to be fully persuaded. you got to be fully convinced of what Scripture says to you and your obedience to it. Just like this man. Not going to change it. And he says. He replied. Whether he is a sinner or not. I don't know. So 
He's truthful there with them. Because he never really seen Jesus. He don't know anything about Jesus' life. Only thing he knows, this is the man that people call him by the name of Jesus that made the mud, put it on my eyes, gave me the directions. I followed them, and now I see. Whether he's a sinner, whether he's a holy man, whether I don't know. Now, I want you to hang on to that with me for a moment. Okay? And he goes on, and he says, One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I know how I used to live. And I was heading for destruction, and I was destroying my life. And my wife and I were ready for a divorce. We were ready to just give up on each other, leave each other. Now, that's years and years and years ago, but it's only Jesus Christ, it's only God who saved our marriage, and we both know that. And now we're getting ready to celebrate here in February 56 years of marriage. But that's what God can do. That's what God can do. And he, and we know who did it. We know we didn't. We know he did. And he goes on in verse 26. He said, then they asked him, what did he do to you? And he then told them what has happened to him. Now, they're asking him again. In other words, they're asking him to change his story. Are you convinced? If you're convinced about something, you don't change the story. If you're convinced about something, that's where you stand. That's where you stand and you hold to it. You don't move from it. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Uh Uh-oh. Now he's speaking to these who are learned individuals and who are educated individuals. And he said, you're not listening to me. I'm not changing my story. I didn't told you before. You're not listening. And sometimes you have to keep repeating the truth. Because people are hard of hearing when it comes to the truth. They want to hear what they want to hear. But they don't want to hear the truth. And this man comes back and he answers, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciple? That really upsets him. But it goes a little further. Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. He don't even really know Jesus. I want you to look at the assumptions that are made. I want you to look at the accusations that are made. I want you to look at the insults that are made. Because when people don't want to hear your truth, they will insult you. Are you crazy? That didn't really happen that way. Nothing like that has ever happened before. And you're telling them what's happened in your relationship with Jesus Christ. But are you yourself truly convinced concerning your relationship and the things that have happened because you're in this relationship with Jesus? He says, we, in verse 29, he says, 
We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Now, the man has his opportunity to laugh at them because they are the religious people. If anybody should know, they should know. The man answered, now, that is remarkable. This guy, hey, God's using this man. He said, that's remarkable. This man is able to heal. This man is able to do this. And you don't know where he come from? And you're the religious group? And you're the one some of you are saying? Boy, uh, God doesn't do this with sinners. God doesn't work miracles through sinners. And you can't figure out where this man has come from? You can't say this man is from God? You can't say this may be a prophet that's come from God? You can't say this is the Son of God? This is the Messiah? He says, you don't know where he come from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. They repeat it again. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. Nobody's never heard of that. They've never seen that. And our God works miracles. Our God does things in our life that he hasn't done before in the lives of others maybe and the reason it hasn't been done in the life of others because there is something very unique about you and God does it specifically for you for you that you might know who he who he is now follow me just another minute or two and we're done here to this they replied, You were steep in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? They threatened the man in a sense now. We're the educated ones. We're the religious ones. We're the, you were born steep in sin. And they're referring back to his blindness, that his blindness is because of what? Of sin, if he was, what? Born blind. Now, Next couple of verses, I want you to hear them because this is what really takes place in life for us. Jesus would be working in our lives until a point we come to a place that he introduced himself to us. He may introduce himself to you at a church. He may introduce himself to you at a Bible study. He may introduce himself to you while you're on your knees praying, asking for guidance, asking for help, he may introduce you. He may introduce himself to you while you're at work through another co-worker. You may take the subway to work or the bus to work, and it may be somebody who's sitting next to you, and they will introduce Jesus Christ to you in a way that you may never heard it before. Look what takes place here. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, I want you to look who found who. The man didn't find who? Jesus. Jesus found the man. And he asked the man this question. 
do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answers honestly. And that's where we have to be. We got to be honest with ourselves. And the man answers honestly. And he says, who is he, sir? He doesn't know. He knows it was a man by the name of Jesus that made the mud, sent him to the pool, washed, and he was able to see. But he doesn't know this Jesus. If you're an unbeliever listening, somewhere Jesus is introducing himself to you, or he's going to do it, but you have to be aware that he's the one who is doing that impossible thing in your life. And he's doing it. That you might stand before others and share what he has done, but mainly for you. For you to open your eyes that you might see him and that you might confess him. And he says, do you believe in the son? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. Didn't see me before, but now you see me. It is me, the one that's standing before you, the one that you are seeing, the one that you are looking upon. It is me. Jesus said, I have now seen him in fact. Jesus said, you have now seen him in fact. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Look at the reaction of the man in 37. Thirty-eight. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. He was convinced that Jesus gave him sight. He was convinced that this Jesus who opened his eyes, that he might see him, was the Son of God. And he believed and he was saved. Are you convinced of the work that God is doing in your life? Are people trying to persuade you that God is not working in your life? Are people denying what God is doing in you? That may bring you to a point to deny it also? I hope you have the courage to stand up and say, this is what God has done for me. And you are persuaded by it. You are convinced by it. And you know that Jesus has revealed himself to you. And you are truly convinced. And that his word is true. I hope you grab hold of that. Won't let go of it. Because it's precious unto you.
If you are the one who truly believe, obey him and trust him and be convinced in your mind and not and do not allow another person to persuade you that God doesn't exist. That all these things that happen by luck. These things happen because other people helped you alone. Be convinced. Be persuaded that God's word is true and God fulfills his promises in your life. Thank you for giving me the extra moments this morning. But I just want us to be a people that are true to our Savior. I'm not saying perfect, but we know when we have the mask up also, don't we? We know when we're playing Christianity. But God wants you to witness over what he has done for you and be persuaded that he has done it. Be convinced that it is God working in your life. Be convinced it is God speaking to you through his word. And you're willing to obey it completely. Well, God bless you. Thank you again for this time. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you and praise you for the mighty work that you're doing in each and every one of our lives. And I pray, Father, you will continue to work. Even as you worked in this blind man's life, when he didn't even know you, you were working in his life. And you revealed yourself after you opened his eyes that he might see you face to face and he might know for himself that you truly are the son of the living God and might believe on you and worship you. Help us, Lord, in our unbelief. Help us to fall down and worship thee. Help us, O oh God, to know thee. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you. May God keep you. And may you continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. God bless. Bye.